Most of us would like to have a God we could put in our pocket. And then pull him out when we needed to use him to fix something. Most of us would like to have a token God. Matter of fact, that's how the church in America predominantly views God. He's a cross around their neck. He's a convenient uh, God for when we have a problem, then we can call on Him. But the reality is, God wants to be more than just a button God. A token God. He wants to be Lord of our lives. So the question is, how do we, how do we come to the point where God becomes more than an answer to our momentary need, but becomes a guide, becomes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, becomes Lord of who I am? Now, I understand this is not popular, but it's not new. Let me just ask you this. Any of you ever had God give you a vision or a promise that you have not yet seen fulfilled? Can I see your hand? You don't have to tell me what it is. God has spoken to you, showed you something, maybe when you were a young kid. And you have not yet seen it fulfilled. What do you do with that? You keep it always before you. Because the God who promises... It's the God who will fulfill it. This morning I would like to talk to you about a God who promises, a God who proves, and a God who provides. From the story of Abraham, where he received the message from God, a very specific message by the way, you go back to chapter 12 of, of Genesis and you find that he was all the way back in Ur of the Chaldees when God spoke to Terah, his father. They moved to Haran and then God made it more specific. He told him to leave his land, his country, the people that he knew, the surroundings that were comfortable and God would make him a great or make many peoples come from him and would give him a land? Now, it was a simple process that God continued to refine. And it's not that God couldn't have told Abraham early in the process what he was going to do, but he had to get Abraham to the place where Abraham could truly grasp what God wanted to do in him and through him. So we find chapter 12. Then we find chapter 15. And then out we go, the first of the next chapters that we're going to go to takes us to chapter, uh, hold on here, I'll get it up here in front of me in just a minute. Next, next one, Ted, 
chapter 17, and starting with verses 1 through 9, here's what, here's what God says. When Abraham was 99 years old, hmm, you think 74 is too late for God to give you a promise and a job? Thelma's not here today. She's probably as close as it. Oh, I don't know. We got my buddy back here. He's, uh, how old are you? Yeah. Not 92. So you got seven more years before God's ready to give you the promise. Ninety-nine years old. And I, and I want you to understand something. I want you to know that when God uses His name, there are many names for God throughout Scripture. In this instance, God said to him, I am El Shaddai. Shaddai was the Philistine god of destruction. He was known as the destroyer. Now the neat thing about this, God using this word with Abraham, is yes, God can be the destroyer. But it really matters on who you are to God. To His children... He is sustainer, not destroyer. But he is capable of destroying our enemies. He is capable of defending his children. So this almighty God, this El Shaddai, says to him, I am the almighty God. I am the one who is capable of destroying. I am the one who is the forever sustainer. Now, here's what he tells him to do. Listen up, Susan. Walk before me faithfully. Oh, pastor. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Oh, really? I mean, he tells... Abraham, walk before me and be. Do you know what that word translates into? Perfection. Now, I want you to understand the concept of perfection as is viewed by God toward mankind. God created us in his image. But we do not have the ability to walk in the same holiness as God. Because of what Adam did for us, he twisted our minds, he twisted our attitudes, he twisted our thinking. God can redeem it and bring us back into relationship. But what he's talking about for us is he's saying, I want you, Abraham, to walk, and and get this too, Not behind me. 
You walk with the understanding that I am right behind you watching everything you do. Hello? Do you know the difference in the way we act when we know somebody's watching us versus the fact that we don't care? And God is saying, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I am right here behind you. I see you. Last Sunday, I see you. Walk before me. I see you. Be blameless in your walk before me. Now, some of you have kids. So you understand what I'm getting ready to tell you here when I say this. When we walk behind our children and they are learning to walk or they are performing or they're playing baseball or soccer or whatever thing that they may be doing, we don't judge their actions by how adult-like they do it. Right? We, we give them compliments on doing things that are nice, that are right, that are correct. Because we're teaching them how to walk, how to play, how to act, how to interact. So God tells him, walk before me and be blameless. Then, hmm, Y'all understand something about this? Part of God's covenant with Abraham was without condition. Part of God's covenant with Abraham was with condition. You walk before me and be faithful, be blameless, then I will make my covenant between me and you and will increase your numbers. It was a promise, a fantastic promise. Go on. So Abraham fell face down before God and said to him, as for me, and fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Ham on the end of a name meant father of nations. Right? So Abraham meant Abram, the father of nations. Or the father of many Abrams. And so he said, you will no longer be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. Now, fruitful can be seen in a variety of ways. One of the ways is that his offspring would be many. But the other thing that is fruitful is that his offspring would have influence. And I will make nations of you. And get this. Kings will come from you. Your influence is going to be so great that you will have in your progeny rulers of countries. And I will establish my covenant as a hundred year covenant. Okay, I will establish my covenant as a 350-year covenant. Well, what kind of covenant is it? 
everlasting covenant. You got to be kidding. Y'all know how long everlasting is? It will never be over. That covenant, for as long as mankind is, that relationship is guaranteed. As long as God is, and Abraham's seed is, that relationship between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be what? The term that is used for God here is not almighty. This is the Elohim version, which is the one true God. I will be your one true God and the God of your descendants after you. They will have one true God. It's me. They will have this relationship with me. Huh? The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as foreigner, I will give you as a 350-year possession. I will give to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be your God or their God. Then God said to Abraham, here's your side of the covenant. As for you, you must keep my covenant and you and your, gen and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Now, he's given him everlasting covenant. He's given him everlasting relationship. He's given him everlasting property rights. But there's a condition. I have to keep on being your God. You put anything else in as God over me, you forfeit your right. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know when God is going to consume that because the children of Israel, they did not walk after Christ. They oh God. They did not follow God and they rejected Christ and they did all the stuff that God wanted them to do. They went through cycles. They get on their face before God. They, they say, we're sorry. And he'd bring them in. And within just a few years, it'd be like, whoo, doing their own thing. Not concerned about that covenant with God. They, they kind of took it as, oh, well, you know, I'm married. That's my God. He'll forgive me. And, and, and here's the really wild thing. They didn't just ignore God. They began to set up other things as their gods. I mean, we live in a nation right now where the God has to be the things that we can possess and control. The stuff that's ours to do with what we want to do with it and not to be vessels used by Him. Well, God made a promise. God promises you. He promises me. He gives us things that He says, I want to do this for you. Some of you know my rock. I don't have the 24 yet. But God's been, God's been doing something in me. And he says, you're not ready to lead the 24 yet. 
I have something I want to do in you. I have made you a promise. I will fulfill my promise. But I have to prove your faith. So what I've been praying in my own heart for God to raise up these 24 leaders that are going to change the community around us. And, and, and most of you know, some of you may not, but what God said to me is through the 24, He wants to touch 100,000 people in the Hampton Roads area for Jesus Christ. That does not mean we'll have 100,000 people in our church. That's not even close to what I'm saying. I'm saying God said if 24 people are sold out with you and Bobby Joe to lead their communities where God wants them to be. I will use that to touch lives. I will use that to connect to churches. I will use that to impact the world around you with my message for truth. But you're not ready yet. So, we started praying and fasting. Some of you have joined us on our prayer and fasting nights. The next one was scheduled for the last Friday of the month. We've moved it back to the next to the last Friday of the month in June. It will be the last Friday in May. And then the one in June is coming back to like the 22nd or whatever that weekend is before Labor Day weekend. Here's what's happening. We're not just prayer and fasting those one day a month. Bobby Joe and I have chosen to pray and fast another day of the week and where we're, we're letting God use this to speak to us and talk to us. And I've asked Him, I've said, Lord, shine your spotlight on my soul. Can I tell you something? Don't ask that. Until you're ready to see what He sees. I have never in my life seen so many things that I look at and I go, Oh, Lord! Forgive me. Tear it down. Root it up. Chop it to pieces. Erase it. Do whatever you need to do because that's not what you are happy with. I can see that now. I didn't see it then. So, Here's what God is doing in me. He, ha- he, he is showing me the man that I am and revealing to me the man He wants me to be in order that I can be that leader that He can use to reach the 24 so that they can then be the men and women they need to be to reach the ones that they impact. So, it, don't be surprised at all If some Sunday the Lord reveals something in me and I have to say, okay, folks, I need you to gather around and pray for me. Because I I will. When the Lord shows it to me and I, I need to repent of it to you, I've already repented of dozens of things to Bobby Joe. I've already repented of dozens of things to him that I didn't even realize were, were objects of difficulty. But I promise. When the Lord puts His spotlight on my soul, I want one thing more than anything else in this world. I want my Heavenly Father to fill me with His Holy Spirit because He is pleased with who I am and He has made me into a vessel that can be that extension cord of His grace. 
That extension cord of His love. That extension cord of His power. Where He pours it into me and it flows out of my life into others. That's what I desire more than anything else. But in order to become that, God has to prove our faith. Now, the scripture that we're getting ready to read says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. This is not a test like tried to trick him up. Right? This is not God laying a trap. This is a test where God is saying, I want you to see your faith. I want you to understand who you are and whose you are. I want that which I am making you to be to be revealed back to you. See, God doesn't have a problem knowing who we are. He doesn't need a test. You know why teachers give tests? It's because they have to. I like that. Because they're trying to verify if the concepts they have taught you have sunken through your thick head. And if you can take the concepts that you've learned and put it back on paper so you can say, Yes, I understand addition. Right? I understand subtraction. In any other concept. The teacher puts on the page. She's asking you. Have you learned to handle these concepts? Or he's asking you. So God. Is not saying. Have you learned to handle these concepts? God is saying to him. I have taught you these things. Show me. So you can show yourself. How much you trust. Oh God, I trust you. I got you right here. You know when I need you, I'll call on you. Right? Oh God. I got a bonus this month. But I'll call you when I don't get that paycheck that I think I'm going to get. Right? Oh God, that's, that's wonderful. I didn't have to put a new transmission in my car. I thank you. Now you won't hear from me for a while until the tires go bad. I, seriously, I, I know this sounds like a joke, but that's how we treat God. We come to Him when we desperately need Him. We don't live in communion with Him. And Abraham had learned to live in communion with God, even though Abraham did not have the Holy Spirit like we do. Matter of fact, if you look at where Abraham heard from God, when it comes to this passage of Scripture, it had been years since we have proof that God had spoken to Abraham. Some people say that this particular incident may have been as many as 36 years after God spoke to him about his son coming. Where he actually heard the voice of God. That doesn't mean that he didn't pray. Abraham was continually building altars and praying. But as far as hearing from God. He may have gone 36 years. There you go Susan. 
36 years without hearing from God. But he trusted him. We, we know that his son was at least late teenage years, if not up to being a young adult. 20-some, 30-some years old. And so God shows up, and instead of saying, Hey, Abraham, good job living these last 35 years. He says, Abraham, and Abraham recognized the voice of God. <laughs> I love this. I love it. Because this is key. This is critical. When God spoke, Abraham didn't have to say, who's there? He said, here I am, Lord. And God said, I see you. Take your son, your only son. Now, is this his only son? No. He had another one that was 14 years older than this one. His name was Ishmael. But God said only son because this was the son of promise. Your only son whom you love, Isaac. There was no mistake in what God was asking him to do. Abraham could not have said, hey, let's go hunt up Ishmael. God wants a sacrifice. Y'all know what I'm talking about. When God asks you to give a sacrifice, we sometimes look for the things that we really don't need or aren't quite as attached to. God said, give some money. Hmm. I think I have some Confederate money somewhere in the closet in there. I think I'll give God a hundred dollars. It's a joke. But you understand what I'm talking about. God said, take that which you love, that which is dear to your heart, go to the region of Moriah. I go to the region of Moriah. Hi, sweetie. So God said, go to the region of Moriah. And the term that he uses here for sacrifice in the Hebrew is ala ola. Two words. Ala ola. The ala is this. Lift up. And ola is that which is lifted up. So God said, ala ola Isaac. Lift up the gift Isaac to God. God does not ever want us to kill another human being. I don't want you to be mistaken in this. But you see, we didn't have the law of Moses yet. All he knew was this. God wants my obedience. Oh, but pastor, how do I know what God's saying? Shh! 
shut up. And I'm saying that with love. Do you know how many of you try to argue by pretending you don't know what God wants you to give up? Thank you, Susan, for your obedience. Thank you for your honesty. So many of the rest of us walk around with the stuff in our pockets or in our coats or in our closets or somewhere else that we pretend we don't have. We pretend they're not God's to us. And God says, let it go. A la ola. Isaac. And get this next part. As a burnt offering. Do you know the difference between a normal sacrifice and a burnt offering? A normal sacrifice is one that was not burned all the way up. It was cooked and then eaten. A burnt sacrifice stayed on the fire until it was nothing but charcoal. And what God is saying to him, this thing that you love, this thing that I have given you, this thing that is so important to you, Bring it back to me. Lift it up and let me have it. On the mountain that I will show you. Now I love his response. Early the next morning. I don't know about you, but if God had told me to that, I probably would have tried to sleep in the next day. Right? I'd have probably said, now hold on. I don't have much time left with him. Even if I'm going to do what God is asking me to do, I don't have much time left. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, prepared for the journey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and perhaps this is where he dilly-dallied around. Can you imagine cutting the wood to burn your son? I mean, can you imagine what's going on through your head? The God that I worship, the one that nobody else around me knows, the one that brought me out of the country where nobody else knew that God, the one that took me to a strange land, the one that made me leave that strange land and told me I'm coming to this land but I can't possess it, but my kinfolks will eventually possess it, that God says to sacrifice a son that he gave me after I had reached 99 years to a wife that gave birth at 90. What is the possibility? 
How could my future possibly be bright? How could I possibly have all of this stuff that God has promised me through this promise that he's given me and now he's asking for him back? But when he had cut enough wood for a burnt offering, I don't know what was going through his mind. I'm telling you what would have been going through mine. He set out for the place that God had told him. Sometimes God asks us to do stuff that the rest of the world looks at and says, there's no way that's God. Sometimes God asks us to do something that the rest of the world looks at and said, God would be telling you the exact opposite. Now I will tell you, he will never contradict his word. So if it's in his word and he's telling you to do it, chances are it's right. But if he's telling you to do something that's not in his word, you probably ought to get on your face before the Father and say, explain yourself, because I can't figure this out. If any of you ever come back to me now and tell me that God is asking you to sacrifice your children on an altar with wood and fire, I will probably tell you you are misinformed. Because there are too many things in Scripture that tell us otherwise. However, we did have a precious mama and daddy bring their little baby here last week and offer that baby back up to God in a dedicatory fashion. Which is the same general principle in our life work. This is saying, this is what we're doing, Lord. We're giving you our daughter, Gracie. Well, God not only proves it, but uh, he provides When he asks us to prove our faith, he fulfills within us what he desires for us to do. On the third day, Genesis 22, verses 4 through 18. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now he'd traveled with his two servants, three days, his son, three days, all the woods on the donkey, all the other stuff that they had to have was on the packs Uh, on these animals and his servants are tending the animals and he's walking with his son and he reaches this place and he says, okay, when we camp for tonight, tomorrow, we're going on by ourselves. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, my son and I. We will come back to you. Hello, y'all see what's going on here? Do you think there was any part of Abraham that was saying, I am not going to offer my son? Absolutely not. He was sold out. He was committed. He cut the wood. He made the trip. He did what was necessary. And we'll see it demonstrated as we go on. Even more so. Abraham was committed. But he was also so much in connection with this God that he knew if God asked him to kill his son that he had the power and would raise him back to life. This is the God he serves. We will worship. We will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, Get the picture. The wood upon the sun who carried the cross. By the way, 
Do you know where Moriah is? It is Jerusalem. The place where Abraham was asked to offer his son Isaac is the place where God offered his son Jesus. And God placed the wood upon the shoulder of his son as Abraham put the wood and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the knife. God held life and death for his own child. As the two of them went on together, Isaac, who's watched his father sacrifice over and over again, he's watched him build altars, he's helped him build altars, he's helped him place the wood, he's helped him slaughter the animal, he's helped him put the animal on the wood. He says to his father, Father, and Abraham replies, Yes, my son. The, the fire and the wood are here. But where's the lamb? And Abraham created the new term that would be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for the generations to come, he said, Yahweh, Yerah, or Jehovah, Jireh in Greek. God will Provide. This is faith. God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Isaac didn't argue. I love the way it says this. And the two of them went on together. And they reached the place that God had told him about. God showed him the place to build the altar. So Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it, and then bound his son. In Jewish history, they call this the binding. Because here is this son who is at least 18. All of you know, I am not 130 years old. I'm less than half that. And if I tried to bind one of these young men and they didn't want to be bound, do you think by any stretch of the imagination I could bind them? So let's just say for a moment that Isaac was only 18 or 20. That's the youngest that most people would think he would be. In order for him to be bound, do you understand he says to his father, I too believe in your God. And Abraham bound him and then so gently laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached down and he grabbed the knife. taking the knife to slay his son. 
Certainly Abraham had the ability to have a metal knife. But probably for this activity, which was to cut from one side of the throat to the other on a sacrificial animal, it would have been an obsidian knife made of stone, flint, obsidian. Something that could be very sharp. And, and I, I can see this in my own mind. Abraham pulling the knife out. Perhaps tears in his eyes. Looking at the edge of the knife to make sure that it was going to be a good clean cut. And the angel appears. And called out to him from heaven. Abraham. Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Pays to know the voice of the Father. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know, now you know, that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram. Ala ola, the ram, as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Do you understand when this was written they had no concept of Jesus? They had no concept that on this mountain of the Lord it would be provided. But they believed it just as their forefather had believed it. And they proclaimed it on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, by the way, we have to swear by something else because something else is always greater than we are. But there is nothing greater than God, so he has to swear by himself. I swear by myself that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as, first time he uses it, stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Don't ask me why proving our faith is so important. You would not even be hearing this story this morning. Even though Jesus would have come and died on the cross, you would never have realized the significance had it not been for the willingness of Abraham to give up his most precious treasure. Some of you are holding on to things that God has given you. 
and he wants you to have them. But they will only be anchors around your neck unless you ala ola those things back to God. God has made a promise to you. Some of you remember the promise with distinction. Some of you know from the bottom of your heart that God has given you a promise that sounds crazy to the rest of the world. 24 people can reach 100,000 people in the Tidewater area. It doesn't make sense. Neither did a baby to an 89-year-old woman and a 99-year-old man. Neither did calling him the father of nations when the only offspring he had was a son by his wife's handmaid. None of it made sense. But God promised. And some of you haven't seen that promise fulfilled and you're doubting in your mind that God even gave you the promise. Folks, I'm as serious as I can possibly be. The 24 is not from Marlon or Bobby Joe. It's a promise from God. And no matter what you see with your eyes, no matter what you can touch with your hands, you cannot let go of the promise that God has given you. It's God's promise. It's for you. And if you will hold on to that promise, if you will embrace the promise, if you will let him prove your faith about the promise, the world around you can be transformed by the fulfillment of that promise. You know why we do the rocks? They're promises. They were requests we had. They were things that God has laid on our heart. We brought them to Him. He said, I will take care of it. And He does. And we bring them before the world and say, this is what God has done. There is a people forever from which a Savior forever came that all of us, the nations of the world, might be blessed. It came to a man who received the promise that sounded crazy to everybody else. It even sounded crazy to him when God gave it to him. So crazy that he fell on his face laughing. But it was no laughing matter. Here's what God said to him. Is there anything too hard for your God?